What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Needed Sports Podcast. We went on a little hiatus. It's been about seven, eight weeks. Uh, you know, times are getting crazy with the holidays, a lot of work stuff going on, a lot of traveling, both staying real busy, but, uh, you know, going to try to do our best here to adapt a little bit. This is going to be a little bit more of just a freestyle episode. This is episode, what, 36? I don't even remember because it's been a little bit. Um, but, you know, just want to get on here, just talk a little bit, catch up on some hot stuff going on in college football, NFL, uh, maybe touch on Heisman ceremony tonight, a little bit of, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of golf, maybe a little bit of NBA. Uh, just going to try to let this go organically and see what we got. But, you know, Josh, you've been traveling a lot. I know you got to catch that Thursday night football game, Minnesota-Pittsburgh. Looked like a blowout, got close for a little bit. But, uh, you know, aside from that, maybe you want to dive into that a little bit. What's been going on? How you been? Yeah, yeah, man. Just been working my ass off, trying to finish the year off strong. Obviously, planning the wedding that we got coming up in February, um, but really been traveling a lot, and 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 I will be going into next year as well with you know kind of my new role with with Spike. So we got a we, our warehouse got a Spike soccer team, um, and so they got some pretty nice Nike jerseys. I was like, hey, I need one of those, man. I was telling my warehouse guy, so I'm repping them today, huh? You ain't playing though, huh? No, 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 no. I'm cool on that. They play indoor, which is cool. I've been to a couple games, drank some beers with them, hang out, show some support. But ever since I tore my ACL playing flag football a couple of years, I try to limit the sports to uh, to, to just golf for the time being. But um, starting to get old, man. About to be thirty in a couple of years. It's crazy. But uh, yeah, so want to want to give them some support. But yeah, I was in uh, Minneapolis this week. I had an electrical expo up there. I you know did for work. Um, was supposed to be coming back Thursday, actually flying back right whenever the game was going to be kicking off. And a customer of mine up there from Fargo, North Dakota, he had an extra ticket. He's like, hey, think you can make it work? So I was like, screw it. Changed my flight, booked another night at the hotel. And, um, you know, for for uh, Thursday night, we went ahead and went to the game. And, man, what a game to go to. That stadium was amazing. I know I, you know, posted on our Instagram showing you some stuff, but the stadium, U.S. Bank Stadium, is actually built like a Viking ship. So, like, just walking in downtown, you're like, well, this is the weirdest look, like, shaped stadium I've ever seen. Because from the side, you don't even see the back end of it. And they designed it because it snows so much there. So that way the snow doesn't, you know, topple on top of it. And it was crazy because I was asking a bunch of, you know, locals. I'm like, man, you know, how crazy was that whenever y'all stadium collapsed? I forget exactly what year ago it was at. But I don't, I'm sure you remember whenever the Viking stadium actually collapsed because of all the snow, you know. And, um I mean, just imagine how crazy that would be. You're in downtown working, and the next you know, you're just here in a huge, you know, collision, or I don't even know how that would sound, but that, but that happening. But that stadium is beautiful. What a game to go to! Uh, from them, you know, the skull chants beating on the drums to you know all the um, you know just the Viking horns after every first down, the fake snow that they were dropping every there. It was a really cool environment. Steelers fan traveled really well. Of course, until they were getting blown out at halftime and then a lot of them left. And it was like, really, guys? Like, it's a Thursday night game. It's the Steelers. You know Big Ben's going to bring them back in the fourth quarter and they're going to try to cover the spread and make it a close game. I took Steelers' money line. I was on the wrong side of it, but I just did not trust Kirk Cousins in primetime. Um, but one thing I will say, really, too, coming out of that game, being able to see Dalvin Cook play for the first time ever in person, being able to see Justin Jefferson play for the first time in forever and in, in person, both of those guys are phenomenal, phenomenal football players. Dalvin uh, was way faster than everybody. 
Way faster. I mean, Dalvin with his jump cuts and really their 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 blocking scheme with that zone, it gives him so much freedom to be able to bounce it outside, jump cut back to the inside, hit that backside hole. And in the Steelers run, I mean, TJ Watt not playing had a huge effect on that. Huge effect on that. And so, um, you know, their run, their run defense just couldn't stand, you know, with the Vikings. Vikings ran the ball down their throat, you know, had over 200 rushing yards. I mean, they went for over 400 yards on offense. The Steelers, of course, coming back late in the game um, and making it a really good one. Um, the Vikings, of course, going to Viking. They have some questionable play calling. That one on third and four with like five minutes left. And it's like, you got 200 rushing yards. Why are you not just handing the ball off to Dalvin Cook? Why are you trying to throw the ball and you're forcing it? And Kirk Cousins, of course, stares down a receiver throwing a slant, picks it off. And at that point in time, it was, I think, 36 to 20. And, um, you know, they scored in three plays, got the two-point conversion. And it was like, oh, crap, down by eight with two minutes left. Like, this is a ball game. So that was a really fun game to be at and be a part of. Minneapolis downtown was great. Um, bar scene was fun. So had a really good time. And, um even though it was 18 degrees and it was snow and luckily got out yesterday before that snowstorm hit, they were supposed to be getting anywhere from about six to 12 inches of snow. So, um, yeah, great time. I'm happy to be back. Looking forward to being home for the holidays. Hopefully we can spit out some more episodes and stuff, but, um, that's also not the only venue that me and you have been to recently, you know, where I have, or Nita sports has, we, you had a chance to come down in Houston and, um, we got to go to the Houston open which was amazing. Got to witness our first ever hole in ones in person with um, Matthew Wolf on hole uh, on hole nine coming back into the clubhouse. So that was awesome right there on the tee box, seeing that, seeing that shot going at the perfect angle that we were at. So that was a lot of fun. Um, Right to the left of him at the tee box. And we saw the ball hit and roll up and I forgot who hit right before him, but they got really close as well. And then we saw Matthew Wolf's creep a little bit closer we saw the crowd get a little excited, hands go up, and then you saw the ball just disappear when it got on top of the shelf and everybody lost it. Everyone so, went that was crazy. First, first career hole-in-one. Uh, so, I mean, my first time to see someone hole out, you know, hole-in-one, hit an ace too. So that was that was really cool to see and experience. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and that's why we go to those sports, you know, events, and it's people – like how we were talking about it on NFTs earlier when we were just chatting and some people see the value difference. Like a lot of people are like, Oh, paying a hundred bucks to go to a golf tournament. No, I'm not going to do that and walk around all day and walk eight miles damn near. But it's like, that's why you go, you go to build those memories and to have that same thing. Like going to the Vikings game, I could have just went home early and, you know, not pissed off my fiance and said, Hey, sorry, I'm booking another flight and I'm booking another night in the hotel and I've been gone all week. She's at home with our dogs. And I'm like, no, I want to go experience the stadium and, and I want to have that, that and build that memory. And so that's what it's all about. And that's what we love. You're not supposed to add another layer to it. You called, I had just been in Houston for an entire week, had just yeah. got home like Sunday or Monday was feeling great about being home. Then you hit me up on like Wednesday, middle of the week. Hey, you want to come? I got an extra ticket to the Houston Open. I'm like, let me, let me, let me think about it for a little bit. I hit you up like an hour, two hours later. I was like, all right, I'm coming. Like, I'll be there. So, of course, Friday, Friday evening, drive down, go to the tournament on Sunday. Hey, I'm not going to miss this. And, you know, just for context, I live in Dallas, so it's not a short drive, four and a half, five hours. Tournament ends on Sunday, book it back home so I can be up and ready for work Monday morning. But, you know, like we talked about opportunity costs, like how do you value it? Like I've never been to a PGA event until then. 
I'll make the drive. Like, I'm going to make it happen. Why not? Right. And, of course, you're lucky ass. The first PGA event you go to, you freaking witness a hole-in-one. So that doesn't happen all the time, by the way. <laughs> Maybe on practice rounds and Thursdays, but on, you know, championship Sunday, on the final round, you know, in the final grouping, pairing, you know. So that was that was a lot. The highlight, the highlight of the day, I got to hang out with Bash, who gave me free plays, who knows more about sports than probably everybody watching this video, as well as us. So yeah, was, that was pretty cool too. A little bit out of value there. Yeah. So for Bash is my nine-year-old little brother who got to bring him to the Houston Open. I go with him every year. We we, we love being able to experience that. And he's getting the age now with technology and everything. And the whole time, you know, he's basically our scorekeeper. I got, you know, red zone on and watching the games. And that day he was like, oh, Tennessee money line lock. Marcus is playing. You know, <laughs> Marcus goes off, you know. Uh, watch Tennessee versus New Orleans and give us updates all day long. Right, right. So yeah, definitely nine year old kid that knows a lot about sports, man. He's probably gonna he's probably gonna be doing uh his own sports podcast one day, probably doing it a lot better than us. So that was pretty cool and just being able to experience that memory with him as well. So um with that being said, let's kind of touch bases a little bit on this Heisman trophy race and kind of just do like a little college football recap. So um, you know, A&M not really finished the season how we wanted, you know, losing to LSU. That sucked. Uh, recruiting trails going really well. Obviously, with Lincoln Riley now making a decision to leave Oklahoma to go into USC, um, that really shook the recruiting trail up for A&M, Texas, Oklahoma, USC, LSU up like crazy. Um, LSU hiring Brian Kelly, uh, Billy Napier going to Florida, Lincoln Riley going to USC, um, Oklahoma. I, I don't want to butcher his name but he getting the defensive coordinator from clemson who actually used to coach at oklahoma so he now be able to get a head coaching job there um so a lot has happened a lot has happened uh miami getting a new coach and them getting a new athletic director and there it looks like miami is now starting miami and urc are finally coming back and they're like look we got to get back up top now whatever it takes you know so um it's shaking things up and you know with that being said you know, you got Alabama beating Georgia in the SEC championship and not just beating them, but beating them and making them look like a Pac-12 team, you know, making them look like a, you know, Big Ten team, in my opinion. You know, Georgia did not look like an SEC football team in that in that game, in the SEC championship. And so um, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, college football playoff rankings have now came out. You got Alabama at one, got um Michigan at two, Georgia at three, Cincinnati at four, so Alabama and Cincinnati playing. Then you got Georgia and Michigan playing. So um, very interesting matchups with that. We'll kind of get into that in a second. But first, Zane, who do you have winning the Heisman? Um, we already kind of talked about this, so I'm assuming who it is. But, you know, why don't you just go and say who you got and why? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty black and white. It's going to be Bryce Young. He's going to win the Heisman tonight at the ceremony. Um, but I will say I think this was – a little bit similar to, I mean, NFL MVP, I think, is definitely Tom Brady. But this is a year where in both leagues, it feels like if somebody wanted to go take it, they had the opportunity to do so, but nobody's doing it. Right. I think Bryce Young, he had an amazing year. I mean, let's not discredit 43 touchdowns, four picks, a lot of passing yards. But to me, this year, this Alabama offense did not look like itself until the game against Georgia, which imagine that. Um, all year, they looked like a shell of themselves. The, the deep balls were just not there. They were not able to connect. Um, he, just, he just wasn't 
I, I just think the chemistry was a little off, maybe because it's his first year. That's perfectly understandable and fine. Um, I personally probably would blame it on Bill O'Brien being the OC because Bill O'Brien sucks. Um, but I just felt like the dynamic of getting players in space was a little bit missing. They look stagnant at times. Um, A&M has a good defense, but, you know, they struggle to score at Kyle Field for most of the game until the end, um, turning the ball over uncharacteristically. Um, I think the game against LSU only putting up what 20 points in that game and winning um, it just felt a little off for Bama most of the year. And then he goes and has a, a, a Heisman ceiling performance against Georgia. But I felt like at times uh, this was a revolving door uh, for candidates at the Heisman uh, all year. Um, you know, DJ was supposed to be one of the guys coming into this year and then Clemson fell off. Yep. Uh, it's a rattler was supposed to be the number one pick and the guy, and then is not even the starting quarterback and, He's going to go in the transfer portal, probably go to like Ohio State or something, um, you know. But I think ultimately the deal is Bryce Young was the only one that was consistent. He's the only one that was there all year. You had Kenneth Walker make a push, um, but then Michigan State fell back a little bit after their losses. Uh, but ultimately, I mean, it's well-deserved. They're a one-loss team. They're the number one team in the country. Um, but I felt like if somebody wanted to come take this at any time, it was definitely possible this year, but nobody did it. And Bryce Young held on just enough to go and win the Heisman tonight. Yeah. And, and, and I completely agree with you on that. I a hundred percent. And just to kind of add to, you know, your comment about the lack of chemistry, you know, I think it's just proven that new OC, you know, new quarterback, you know, um, you know, still kind of new receivers and chemistry with that, me playing receiver. I mean, that's huge, you know, and, and especially whenever you got a new OC that you're not used to and everything, it's going to take time to gel and build that chemistry and get really things going and figure out, okay, really who, what, what's our identity going to be? And also, you know, this is really the first time in a while that like Alabama doesn't have a Heisman like caliber running back. That's up there in the talks of that as well, you know? So um, Alabama, you know, they've been tested, you know, on the offensive side of the football. Um, and, but I think this is also a result of showing Bryce Young and his, you know, his resilience and showing that over time he has the ability to be able to build that. I mean, his performance against Auburn at the end of that game was phenomenal. You know, that game time touchdown that he threw, that was a perfect ball. He's now shown the abilities to be able to stand in the pocket, throw the, you know, make those big plays, get out of the pocket, being able to throw in different slot angles, throw it offered, you know, in awkward settings with his feet and everything like that, kind of like Aaron Rodgers, you know. So I think he's going to be a really good quarterback in the NFL. I think if he continues to develop and continues to understand scheme and processing, which I have no doubt in my mind he will, he's at Alabama talk all the crap you want about Bill O'Brien, but Bill O'Brien is probably one of the top offensive minds out there. I mean, it is what it is. He didn't have success in Houston, but you don't go from being a coach of one of the worst organizations in the NFL because of you, and then you go get an OC job at Alabama without being a top-minded offensive coach. So Bryce Young is going to be, in my opinion, the Heisman Trophy winner. I think he's deserving of it. Like how you said, anybody could have took it from him. It was probably, you know, up in the grabs this year more so than, you know, in, in past years and recent years. But like I said, nobody did it. And Bryce Young was just consistent, and it helps that you get to play for Alabama, you know, and, and your defense can make plays for you and keep you in games like that. So uh, I think he's deserving of it, and I, um, I will definitely be tuned in tonight um, to watch that. 
So, um, so with that being said, you know, let's kind of dig into this college football playoff matchup. And yeah, I don't, honestly, I don't really want to talk about A&M's ball game situation and all that. Cause I, honestly, I'm at the point now to where if we don't, if we're not making a college football playoff or we're not playing in one of these other big, you know, New Year's ball games, you start getting to the point to where you're probably going to have guys like DeMarvin Liao and some other guys that are going to go to the league that they're probably not even going to play in the ball game. Why would you know? Exactly. It's too much of a risk. It's too much of a risk physically. And, and especially whenever now in college football, if, if, you know, I'm just going to kind of break it down because some people may not know this saying is whenever you are trying to make a decision, whether you're going to come out of the NFL or not, and you still have clock to be able to play in the NCA, you then submit an evaluation request to the draft committee and then the nfl will then basically give you an evaluation and say okay based off of your performance this year prior to the combine prior to your pro day and all that this is your draft grade we see you being projected as a uh, first rounder we see you being projected as you know second to third rounder or a fourth to fifth or from six to undrafted so basically you get that evaluation and so some guys that are like okay yeah I'm projected to be a second or third rounder, but I believe and my team believes and everyone around me that I could play my way into a first round draft pick. Then that's a situation to do that. But if you're already going to be a solidified first round pick and you know that you're going to be one of the top guys, you know, going in your position, it's tough to say, well, I'm not really playing for anything. I'm playing in the damn Gator Bowl in Florida and it is what it is. And why would I risk the injury? So a lot of guys are starting to sit out. And that is one of the bad things about the college football playoff. Nick Saban went on a rant, excuse me, about it a couple of years ago, saying that the college football playoff, he doesn't like it because we're going to start seeing this, you know. Um, so with that being said, let's focus on the college football playoff and let's kind of go over these matchups. So the first matchup I, I want to go over with is Michigan and Georgia. Um, you know, this is going to be a really good team. Michigan looked great in the Big Ten Championship. They've been able to run the ball on everybody. Their defense looks phenomenal. Um, you know, in Harbaugh winning the, you know, AP coach of the year. I think that's the first time Michigan's ever had a coach win that. So that's crazy if you think about really the history of Michigan. Um, so this is going to be, in my opinion, the better game out of the two. Um, I still like Georgia in this game. I think Georgia is going to be able to have the ability to bounce back. I think that they're going to be able to run the ball. And I like Georgia's ability to be able to throw the ball more than I do Michigan's against Georgia's secondary. And I think Michigan, Georgia's going to be able to stop the run with Michigan, and it's going to force Michigan to actually be balanced and have to throw the football. And so I think that's going to give Georgia you know, a head up on that. So I like Georgia in that matchup. But, again, I think this is going to be a very good game. And I'm really excited for Michigan to be back in, you know, in, in, in top rankings in college football. So who, who do you like in that matchup, Zane? Well, what do you think about that matchup before I, I say what I'm thinking? What do you think about that matchup as far as the spread goes? Because Georgia's up to minus eight, and personally, I think that's way too many points. So I I was talking to a buddy on Twitter, and we were just talking about the matchups. I personally think Georgia's going to win by, like, 11. I, I think they could any, any, win from anywhere from 10 to about 14 points, that range. Me personally, I think that's going to be the game. I think it's going to be a really good game, but I just think 
you know, they'll probably be up by like a touchdown. And then like Michigan's driving down trying to tie the game. They don't get it. Then Georgia goes down and kicks a fucking late field goal to cover their spread or something like that. So if it's at eight and a half, it's funny that I was saying that because that may move up, that may move down. Um, you know, I think again, very well, maybe like 21 to 10. Right. Michigan goes and scores and backdoor covers too. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it's like I could be on one side of it, then you could be on the other with that. So yeah, score was 21 16, and Michigan like goes for two because they're trying to make it close for a field goal. Right. Yeah. So it, it it's going to be interesting. I'm definitely probably not going to bet on that game by any means, but. I, I'm already on record saying 10 and a half points. So I'm just going to say that, you know, so I could see a 35 to 24 game, you know, or 21, 10, you know, could be a low scoring game, you know, but who knows, but I do like Georgia in the matchup. Yeah. I, I think the reason Georgia is such a big favorite um, is because, Michigan is pretty one-dimensional on offense. I don't trust them to be able to throw the ball very well, and I think this is going to be a low-scoring game. I think it's probably going to be a rock fight because Michigan has a good defense too. Um, I mean, they held Ohio State to 27 points, and Ohio State's been dropping 50 on pretty much everyone since week two, week three. So, um, I mean, Michigan is peaking at the right time. They looked great against Ohio State. They looked great against Iowa. Iowa, very one-dimensional offense as well, but – Here's the deal with Georgia. I don't really trust Stetson Bennett personally ever since like JT, JT Daniels got hurt, but I think he was cleared to come back. I would be going with JT Daniels. I think that gives them the best shot to win. If he plays this game could be, you know, a, a two to three touchdown victory for Georgia. Um, I've seen some reports about like from the local news in Georgia, like JT Daniels gives the, the Bulldogs the best chance at winning a national title. Um, personally, just arm talent for me. He's a lot better. I'm pretty sure Stetson Bennett was a walk-on, um, which, you know, d- isn't the end-all be-all by any means, but I just think JT's way more talented as a, as a thrower. So I personally would like – I'd feel a lot more confident with him uh, under center, but I think it's going to be a grinded-out game. Both teams are going to be trying to run the ball. Both teams are going to do a good job of stopping the run. It's going to be about who can throw and connect on the big play downfield. Um, but I just don't really know who that's going to be. So if I was betting on this game, I would take Michigan plus eight uh, and expect it to be pretty close if Stetson Bennett's the quarterback. Um, but yeah, again, Michigan's peaking at the right time uh, with two big time wins. So, you know, wouldn't be surprised to, to see them win either um, after Georgia's let down against Bama. But was that Bama being great and their offense finally clicking or was that Georgia's defense actually getting exposed for the first time all season? Could be a combination of both. I don't really know. And I think it's, you know, kind of TBD and up in the air until we see these matchups. Yeah, I think I think it was just a little bit of combination of both. You know, it's often said, you know, they've been clicking, but they never got on fire. And that was just kind of their coming out game. And, and offenses do that, you know, to where it's just like everything that you've been trying to do against this certain scheme and against this certain coverage and and now your quarterback, sometimes the receiver's getting it, but the quarterback's late because of pressure. And it's there's so many revolving pieces where the O-line has to block. They got to pick up blitzes. And then, and then quarterback is making the right reads. Receiver is sitting in certain windows. He's running his routes certain way based off of how the coverage is. And so to me, it looked like it was a mix of Georgia coming out a little flat. And it was a mix of Alabama knowing our season's on the line. 
You know, because if you think about it, Georgia knew, hey, we we lose regardless. We're undefeated. We're, we're in the college football playoff. Alabama, they knew if we lose, we're not in the college football playoff. They knew that. They knew that they had to go in and win that game. They were the committee would have loved Alabama to lose and try to get them out of there with two losses. They would have loved to get them out of there. So with that being said, Alabama came in with the chip on shoulder. They knew that the pressure was on, and I think it was a mixture of both. So, um, again, I think that's going to be the better game of the two. That's going to be one that I'm really looking forward to. I would not be upset to see Michigan win, me personally, um, just because, again, I think that would show the power of the SEC West a little bit more. Um, you know, and, and obviously it'd probably make the SEC look a little weak according to the Big Ten, but hey, it's Michigan, you know, it's not like it's freaking Iowa. Like I'm I'm happy to see Michigan back up and you know, I, I'd much rather be Michigan than Ohio State, me personally. So um again, I think that's gonna be a really good matchup. Going into the other matchup, you got number one Alabama playing number four, um, uh, Cincinnati. Cincinnati still being undefeated this year. Uh, you know, Desmond Ritter, a heck of a ball player in if we look at to see kind of where this Alabama defense has kind of struggled really other than an in game, their defense struggled with athletic quarterbacks that can go and extend the plays that they can run and play man coverage. And then they got a QB spy with one linebacker. And if you've got a quarterback that's athletic enough to go pick up a chunk of eight, 10, 12 yards and extend the sticks, that's where they really struggled. So, I think, of course, Alabama's going to win this game. I think they're probably going to win this game convincingly. I think they're going to stay hot. They're going to go in the national championship rolling. Me, personally. If I had to put money on it, that's what I would do. But I think if there was a kryptonite for this Alabama team in this first matchup, I'm going to say I think Cincinnati would be more dangerous Alabama than Michigan would be. Because of the ability of Desmond Ritter to be that X factor. Cincinnati's secondary is also very good. Their defense is very good. They are a fundamentally sound team. They're a very well-coached team. They're very disciplined. They're not going to give you a lot of penalties, a lot of extra BS yards. So Alabama's going to have to work for what they got. But by far, they are the much better talented team. So I think it's really going to come down to can Desmond Ritter get outside of the pocket make those outside of the box plays improvise a little bit and can he be that johnny menzel type of player and go out and do whatever he's got to do to put points on the board because they're gonna if cincinnati wants to win this game they're gonna have to put up at least 28 points they're gonna have to and they're and they know that they know that they're not gonna be able to be in a dog fight with alabama because alabama is just gonna dominate them up front so they're going to have to be able to put up points so i'm really excited to see desmond ritter uh, play in this game. He's a guy that I really like. I'll, I always jokingly say to you, if I was six five, that would probably who I would have been. You know, um, obviously he's a lot more talented than I ever was, but it's just a joke that I like to say. So I'm looking forward to this game too. Um, but I do think the Alabama's going to win. I haven't even looked at the spread. Do you know what the spread is on this? What well, probably Alabama minus thirteen or something. Thirteen. See, and I don't even know. <laughs> I'm saying thirteen, and it's right there on the money. That should let you know how much we do this. So, uh, and I promise, hand on the Bible right here, Lamar. I did not know that spread, so that's pretty funny. So, and that it's a lot of points for Cincy, you know. But again, that I feel like that could easily be a ten point game. Or it could easily be a 21-point game or a 17-point game. Vegas in case Bama comes out and looks the same as they did against Georgia. 
Because right. if they do that, they're going to run the table with the next two matchups, with likely a, a rematch versus Georgia. Um, exactly. If that's the case and their offense is clicking, none of these teams are going to beat them. And my narrative around it changed within one matchup, and that was against Georgia. I took Bama plus seven in that game, but all year long, I thought to myself, no matter who Bama's playing at the end, I'm taking the other team because I just don't trust this Bama team this year. And then they come out and blow the doors off the undoubtedly number one team in the country. And that narrative quickly shifted to, okay, now Bama might run the table. So it all happened very quickly. But I think in this game, I'll take Cincy plus 14. I'll take the points with them. I don't love it in case Bama comes out electric. But here's the deal. Cincy has a balanced offense. Like you said, they're a better match. They have a better chance than I think Michigan does against a Bama team. Um, they have a balanced offense. They can run. They Ritter can throw it down the field. They, they're explosive. I think ultimately – Really good tight ends. They have a chance to keep it close. And like you said, with the dynamic quarterbacks, Bama is so worried in those games against dynamic quarterbacks about the edges that they're creeping over, trying to overcompensate for that, and they're getting destroyed in between the tackles. Yep. Teams ran it up and down the field for pretty much the entire first half – through the first three quarters of the season on them, just gashing them. You saw it against A&M. You saw it against Florida. Um, you really saw it against Florida. That was the first time they got exposed. Um, you know, Auburn ran the ball. Like, LSU was able to run it a little bit. LSU didn't score that much. Obviously, a terrible LSU team this year. Um, but anyway, they're not – it's not like they got seven, eight guys who were getting drafted in the first round, you know. And it's not quite that many every year, but – the first round talent on the Bama defense is usually pretty ridiculous and it's just not the case this year. Um, so I think there's definitely some vulnerabilities up front. And I think, you know, Cincinnati's defense with their DBs, their secondary, especially can do just enough to keep it close. And let's not forget Mechie's out with a torn ACL his yep. season over with, and that is a huge loss for them. Uh, we saw when they only had one receiver against Auburn, Jamison Williams got ejected in what, I think the second quarter and Targeting, they- yeah, yeah, and it completely killed their their rhythm. And so this Bama offense has been very, very powered by momentum this year as far as getting up and down the field. We've seen a lot of drives stall, which is uncharacteristic. I think Cincinnati can do just enough uh, to keep it close. And I think John Mechie is obviously a huge loss for them uh, just as far as explosiveness and talent, future you know NFL wide receiver, obviously. Um, so I'm, I'm interested. I, I want to see if Cincy can do enough because – Obviously, to the SEC, there's a, a huge jump in what the trenches look like. And I think that's really where, you know, as far as, like, trying to actually win the game, that's where it'll be decided. Is, is Cincy's front going to be able to do enough to stop the run, or will we see Bama have, you know, some of the most success they've had on the ground all year? Um, but I think it should be interesting. Desmond Ritter, if he is going to keep it close and especially cover the, cover the number of 14, uh, he can't turn the ball over. So, We'll see, you know, you got to pick and choose when to take your shots against Bama. Um, but I think there's definitely some opportunity for some explosive plays for Cincinnati. Yeah, definitely. And so, and just to kind of, let's wrap up college football. So we got both Georgia over Michigan, right? Just, and, and not not betting, not spread, but just to win the game. But is it, is it safe to say I got Georgia over Michigan, Zane's got Georgia over Michigan. Um, and then for the Alabama-Cincinnati matchup, I got Bama. I'm assuming you got Bama. Again, this is just to win the game. We're not giving you picks or anything like that. 
um, and then advance the national championship. I think that's going to happen. It's going to be Alabama, Georgia again, you know, going back to when, <laughs> when they played again and when Tua, you know, came in and game winning touchdown. And, and, and I think that's going to be another great game. I think that's what the viewership wants. You know, I think those are the two best teams in college football this year. Um, and, and, you know, I think that's what ESPN wants and everybody wants. So especially the SEC, obviously that's what the SEC wants. So if that happens and that winds up being the matchup, who would you take in that? And let's not go too in deep, I'll do a deep, too into detail of an analysis because we'll get to that. But if it is Alabama, Georgia, um, and they go to the national championship, who would you just take in that game just to win and then to claim national championship this year? If everything stays the same. I'm taking Alabama. If I, and I hate that because this has not been my narrative all season long. If JT Daniels comes in, I give Georgia a much better chance to win. That changes everything for me. And we don't even know if JT Daniels is even an option right now, but that would change it. Um, you know, I think that makes it from a 10 point game to a three point game. Honestly, I think it makes that much of a difference because uh, I just don't trust that's in minute, but if everything stays the same, Bama over Georgia again. And for Georgia, unfortunately, like those will be their only two losses of the season. And it's just like a kryptonite type of situation. Like they have never been able to get over the hump of Alabama, even with a big league in big time games, such as when Tua came in. So Yeah. And 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 I'm with you on that. I hate to say it too. I don't want Alabama to win, but then at the same time, it's like with us being a and fans, oh, well, Alabama won the national championship. We're the only team that beat them that year. And even though our season sucked and, you know, we lost to LSU, we lost to freaking, you know, Mississippi State, freaking, you know, lose a freaking, you know, just ridiculous dumb losses that ruined our season. Um, so I, I, I'm going to go ahead and pick Alabama as well. Um, if it was anybody else other than Kirby Smart coaching, any other team, even if it was just Georgia and another coach, I would probably take Georgia or that other team. But Kirby has proven that he can't beat he can't beat Nick. You know, I mean, what Jimbo is the first assistant of Nick Saban to to actually come out and beat him playing him, the very first assistant to do that. So, with that being said, I, I just still think again, you know, like how you said, with them having the big lead in the last national championship, they were coming back to coming in, throwing the game winner. If they if they couldn't beat Alabama then, what makes you think that they can beat them now? So um I I I think with proven history and the stats of Kirby proving that he can't get the job done, I I think Alabama wins the national championship again. Um and they continue rolling and roll tide and Nick Saban just continues to do what he's doing and Hey, it is what it is, and I guess congrats to Bill O'Brien if that happens, um, you know. So, but, uh, again, that would wrap up the season, and then we're getting into, you know, then we got signing day coming up this Wednesday, you know. Um, so that'll be interesting. I, I, I plan to be at uh, my old high school at Clear Springs down in Leak City to to go check out Noah Thomas's signing day, um, four-star receiver out of Leak City, Clear Springs. That's going to be going to A&M. May be able to go check out Donovan Greens out of Dickinson, um, same school that Jenna Watermeyer went to as well. So hopefully we can land a couple of these other five-star recruits, four-star recruits that we're trying to grab from decommits from, um, you know, Oklahoma and Oregon and everything else. So we'll see. So with that being said, um, I know you want to talk about NBA. 
um, a little bit. I know we got Steph Curry coming up with him breaking the all-time three-point made record. That's probably going to happen. That Actually, that's probably going to happen in the next week or so. So um, let's kind of dabble in the NBA a little bit. I'll let you kind of lead this off and, um, you know, we can kind of go from there. I mean, let's just say, let's just say basketball in general. I don't have too many points, but I do want to say the Warriors with Clay Thompson coming back are once again a problem, and they didn't take too much time to rebound. Steph yeah. Curry, you know, according to NBA.com, I thought they were – I guess they didn't play last night. They played the night before, but he's still 10 threes away from taking the all-time three-point made lead over Ray Allen. And he's going to do it in about 500 less games, which is incredible. Um, you know, he's completely – revolutionized basketball as we know it over the last decade you know pulling up from near half court at any chance and just being absolutely automatic so um i think i mean obviously everybody knew this was coming we all knew this was you know gonna happen but it's cool that we're gonna finally get to witness it after watching ray allen for so many years as well um steph just smashing records and they're 21 and 4 now of course the sun's on fire as well the sun's 21 and 4 Last night, Sauce texted me and said, uh, "Dude, same thing." He's like, "The Celtics are a lot." Booker, yeah, Aiton, Booker, and whoever else are all out. Um, no chance they should that the Suns should be favorites and easy money. I looked at the odds and I said, "All those people are out, and the Suns are minus one fifty, and the Celtics are plus one thirty-five. Yeah, I'm good on that. <laughs> I was yeah. like, I'm good. That my, the minus one fifty plus one thirty is always sketchy. They get your ass every time. Um, anyway, I mean, the Suns are twenty-one and four. Of course, the team that snapped their seventeen-game win streak or whatever it was was the Warriors. Um, so those look like the two best teams right now. Nets struggled a little bit to start the season, but they're picking up some steam as well, starting to win those close games. Um, they've had a little bit of injury trouble and obviously still no Kyrie Irving. Um, Lakers, you can talk about that if you want, but they seem to be in shambles. And then my Houston Rockets, yeah, they lost a lot of games in a row, but they came back and won seven in a row, which I think is just, I mean, I'm not going to get too excited about it, but I mean, it's promising to see the way these young guys are playing and I just think it's funny how Bleacher Report came out and was like, oh, Steven Silas, hot seat. He might get fired. And then they went seven in a row. And the players are basically like, I got you, coach. No worries. Well, and, and, and just to kind of get out, I don't want to get too far in the NBA because I'm the type of guy, guys out there, listeners out there that I like the NBA. I follow it. I'm doing fantasy basketball for the first time this year. It's okay. But, you know, I always have a saying, even if, if it's a one game that I'm focused on and I'm watching the first three quarters and really 75% of that fourth quarter in a basketball game does not matter. You don't have to watch any of that. You can just turn it on whenever there's four minutes left in the fourth quarter. And I don't care. It could be a 20 point game and that team is still in the game. So that's like with basketball, I don't I'll watch on like Christmas. I'll watch the big game, especially whenever it starts getting closer to the playoffs. Obviously I watch call or a playoff NBA, but like, I'm just not a big fan of regular season NBA. And so um, – game at halftime, and it's two competitive teams that are actually pretty good, it may as well be a four- or five-point game because right. it doesn't matter. Those leads evaporate so quick. Exactly. It's a game of runs. But one note that I do want to make about the Rockets is do you think it's a little – I don't I don't know – a little weird that – this run that they're on, what they've won seven in a row now, right? They lost last night. 
Milwaukee, but it was a okay. Game. Yeah, so six in a row, seven in a row, whatever it was, that was all without Jalen Green. I know. So I, think, I just that, think so many moving parts and so many guards. Right. In order for Jalen to carve out his role and for them to be efficient as a collective unit, I think that's just going to take a little bit of chemistry and evolve over time. I, I don't think it is too much of an indicator of what's to come or what really matters. Um, I think it's just more of a situation of how do we fit together? Like, are you the guy? Or are you not the guy? Will you be the guy one day? Like, how does that work? And how do we, how do we? Well, and, and, and also not even, you know, and not saying what you're saying is wrong or anything, but like, even just like, okay, are you the guy that we want to run every single offensive set through? Do we want you bring the ball up? Do we want you on the wing? You know, how do we want to get you in the offense and get involved and things like that takes time. And I understand that, but I just thought it was funny because again, I don't pay attention to that much during regular season, but I did see a tweet that came out and it was like Rockets record with Jalen Green, Rockets record without him. And they were six and oh without him. I was like, oh damn, that's a pretty crazy stat. Anyway, when they get Paulo Bancaro, so. Bacon on that, huh? <laughs> I mean, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So, and speaking of speaking of that, um, you know, Purdue, number one team in the country, losing to Rutgers, you know, on a on a half court shot, and that was a pretty crazy sequence, just because you know Purdue was losing, I think, what sixty six to sixty seven, made a um, layup with like four seconds left to go up sixty eight to sixty seven. And literally, clock's running, they get the inbounds, and it's like, boom, one-two dribble, crossover. I'm just past half court, and I'm shooting with, like, .6 left. And that ball, like, buzzer's already off, and the ball doesn't even go in, and he just makes it. Beat the number one team in the country. I mean. He shot put it a little bit, too. Yeah, he was like. It was Von Harper Jr., and that game was a – I watched it, and it felt like a little bit of a destiny game for Rutgers because they had yeah. a number one team in the country. They had only hosted – this was the third time they've ever hosted a number one team in the country at home. Um, you know, Rutgers venue, one of the most underrated venues in college basketball, packed house. They think they have the longest streak for sold-out crowds, actually, which is very surprising because it's Rutgers. Yeah. Um, 15, 16 games in a row being sold out. But Ron Harper had 30, 32 points. He couldn't miss all game. I mean, he. I'm talking like come down the court, create your own shot, like not even catch and shoot. Like I'm going to turn around and pull up over you. I'm going to try to just get you at the, the highest point. And he couldn't miss. And, of course, shot comes down to him. It's in his hands and he makes it. Um, but college basketball is a little bit interesting. If you want to follow me on action, ZaneTap18 action app, I do post everything for college basketball on there. I bet on the smallest ESPN plus games all the way to the primetime games on ESPN. But I'm I'm in it deep. I'm in college basketball very deep. And I still think even with that loss, Purdue's the best team in the country. I mean, they had a 10, 12 point lead in that game. Jaden Ivey reminds me a little bit of a mixture of Donovan Mitchell, Ja Morant type of player because his one to 100 is so quick. He's one of the fastest, most explosive players in college basketball. He, over the offseason, developed a shot, like a little bit of a – like John Morant's shot kind of came along in college. Same with Donovan. Donovan's shot's elite now. Um, but he reminds me of those guys with the explosiveness and ability cre- to create. And when you have a guy like that in college basketball, we know when you get to the tourney, that really matters when you have a go-to guy. Um, but they have him. They got a seven-footer in Zach Eady, and then they got Travion Williams, who – Averaged 16 and nine last year, 
and he's coming off the bench, only playing 20 minutes a game and still putting up like 18 and 10 this year, which is just ridiculous. So they got that and a plethora of three-point shooters. I think they're going to be fine. But, I mean, I guess the we've talked about it a little bit. Duke is probably going to be there at the end. I mean, anything can happen in March Madness. But with Duke, it's Coach K's last year. I'm all about storylines. Right. I mean, I even say they're not going to be there at the end of the year when they also have the future number one pick and Paulo Bencaro as well. So um, Gonzaga, I, I don't even feel as strong about Gonzaga as I did last year, but um, you know, a lot of good teams, Kentucky can Calipari develop these guys that are usually one and dones and, and can they make a run to be seen? They haven't really been able to do it recently. Um, as far as the blue bloods, it's kind of changed over. Like you still got Nova up there and UCLA, but like, Kentucky, North Carolina, a little bit of a hit or miss right now. Yeah, no, definitely. And it's kind of crazy because I'm pretty sure this was the first time that Purdue was ever ranked as the number one team in the country. Yeah. They've always been like a top five team right there. Number one's already lost. Another team that's really good, they won last year. Baylor is still a very good basketball team. Yeah, absolutely. And they're one of those teams that they just kind of coast under until you start really getting into conference play. And and, and that's really whenever you start seeing, okay – conference play and everything that you know obviously the conference tournaments and, and that's whenever you see a team like Baylor to where they're gelling all year and they're getting that defense going and then as soon as it comes to a big 12 tournament they're like all right here we go so um well cool definitely wanted to um take point on that and if anything you know I would like to try to get into some NFL a little bit um just to kind of recap and touch bases on some things Obviously, we had Vikings Steelers um, Thursday night. That was a great game. Pittsburgh definitely looking in trouble. Chase Claypool, I mean, what the hell were you doing, kid? And then even his interview, um, I still actually haven't sat down and watched the full interview, but I saw Ryan Clark's comments on it. And coming from a guy like Ryan Clark, who used to be a leader of the Steelers in that locker room, and he knows Steelers football and he knows. Mike Tomlin and what Mike Tomlin expects out of his guys. And for him to come out and say that Chase Claypool is just as much overdeveloped physically as he is underdeveloped mentally. And that is the reason that the Steelers organization is going down because their kids and their young players are like that. I think that carries a lot of weight, you know, and it says a lot about the Steelers organization, you know, because if you really look at it, Big Ben, I feel like he's never really been that type of leader, you know, and, and I feel like with everything with his history and everything like that, I feel like as young guys, it, it's got to be a little tough to go in and try to pick Big Ben as that leadership role, you know, for that team. So with that said, we, I mean, you got TJY, you got Mika Fitzpatrick, you got Najee Harris, Deontay Johnson, Chase, everybody there that's really, really good is also really, really young. You know, and so it makes me wonder where the Steelers organization is going. Big Ben already came out and said that this is probably going to be his last year in Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, is Mike Tomlin going to stay? What's he going to do? Hey, I wouldn't mind if the Bears when I got Mike Tomlin, <laughs> you know, but is he even still going to coach? Who knows? You know, he's had a very successful career in Pittsburgh. So just to kind of cap that game, that was a very interesting, um, you know, just how that game played out. Um Vikings, that kind of keeps them in the hunt. That was a very big win for them. They needed that. Uh, but the Vikings also have a very tough schedule, so they still have to play the Rams. They got to play Green Bay again, and then they still got to play the Bears twice. So that's going to be very interesting. Um, staying in the NFC North, Bears have a very, very, very big matchup this week Sunday. We come into this week at 4-8. and eight. 
We're pretty much out of the playoff race at this moment. But I think the Bears made a mistake by claiming Justin Fields as a starter at this point. I look at it like we're not making the playoffs. If we really want Matt Nagy gone, how we should, you know, um, and and we really want Justin to really develop, I think we're throwing him back in the fire too soon. I think, you know, we're paying Andy Dalton $10 million. He's looked serviceable while he's played. Like, yeah, he looked terrible against Arizona, but I knew we were going to lose to the Cardinals anyways. I already knew. Even without, even with Kyler not starting, I figured that we were probably still going to lose. And so getting getting blown out by the Cardinals and Andy Dalton and, you know, being able to get that win against the Lions, we haven't won in Lambeau since 2015. This is going to be a huge long shot. Green Bay's playing for, you know, home field advantage. They're playing for that number one seed now in the NFC. We're not going to win Sunday night. We're not going to. We're not going to. So why would we throw Justin Fields in there to risk injury again? You know, whenever we can pay or start the guy that we're paying $10 million, this is last year on the contract. But the reason why is because Nagy knows that his job is on the line. He knows that he is more than likely gone out of Chicago. And he knows that he has one lifeboat left or one little lifeboat left. And that is to somehow pull a win out of his ass this weekend in Lambeau. And he's revamping everything up to do. Hey, A-Rob, I need you to play this weekend. Justin, I got you starting, blah, blah, blah. In reality, we're still going to probably freaking lose like 28 to 13. And it's not going to be a close game. It's going to be ugly. Justin's probably going to get hurt again. And in my opinion, it's just going to mess with his mental a little bit, even though he's one of the most mentally you know, one of the more mentally strong-minded young players I've seen in the league at the quarterback position. So I'm pretty upset that we're starting, Justin. I'm pretty upset that we got A-Rob coming back and this and that and everything. And it's like, you know, what are we doing here? But with that being said, I think Green Bay is definitely going to beat us. I hope they destroy us this weekend because I want Matt Nagy gone. I'm still on the fire Matt Nagy train. It's still my Twitter name. Um, but with that being said, do you agree with me? You think Green Bay is pretty much a lock to win this weekend? And, and and what are I just would like to hear your perspective, you know, on putting yourself in as a Bears fan shoes. How do you think Nagy has handled this quarterback carousel? You know, um, and do you think that he deserved his, deserves to still be in Chicago after this year? Well, this is actually a because sometime this week or the end of last week, um, we were texting back and forth and I said that the quarterback carousel is only making things worse and you put a question mark and I didn't ever clarify. So now I can clarify a little bit on this. Um, to me, it reminds me a lot of the Brian Flores to a situation from last year. I know that injuries played a part in that last year. Injuries have played a part with Justin and Andy this year. But the problem is when injuries aren't a factor and you think, oh, I'm the guy, I'm not the guy. I'm trying to be developed. I'm trying to be developed while playing. I'm trying to be developed while not playing. When you go back and forth and switch it up because your job's on the line, your ass is on the line, and you don't know what to do, you're screwing with the development of a young, skilled player, in my opinion, and going back and forth and switching it and not knowing who the guy is week to week, regardless if it's from injury or whatever it may have you, um, just the back and forth is way too much. And I think it is – it creates a – I don't want to say negative, but there's like a, there's a downside in the culture when like the players around are supposed to rally around the quarterback and you don't know who the quarterback is week to week. Like that's a problem, especially right. when all these guys are professionals. Um, so, I mean, they got their opinions about who they want to start, but it's like, 
I don't think Matt Nagy has a plan. And I think that is what the issue is. So, I mean, he's going to get fired. Is it going to happen at the end of the year or over the next couple of games? I don't know, but he is going to get fired. Um, do you know what the spread is for the Packers game? No. Minus, minus 12 and a half. So you're pretty close again. So, I mean, the, I think, I mean, the Packers are probably going to blow y'all out. Like, might even be one of those vintage like 42 14 i don't think that's really there's possible. nothing more i would love there's nothing more that i would love honestly it's very possible. There's, there's nothing more that i would love like i said i just whatever it's going to take to get matt Nagy out and you know and 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 i personally think that after this year you know people are like well you know you you got to give him another chance with with you know with, with justin and this and that and i'm like well i'm not just evaluating just off this year I'm evaluating that over the last four years. Yeah, we made the playoffs through the last four years. We're 32 and 28 over the four years under Matt Nagy. Okay. Our record has been a lot worse without Mitch than it has with Mitch. Should Mitch still be the starting quarterback in Chicago? Absolutely not. But there's no reason why we should have refused his fifth year option if our plan was to go get Andy Dalton offseason and pay him $10 million. We could have Mitch as our backup right now and Justin as our starter. So that way then, if Justin is banged up, at least there's still synchrony and there's still chemistry there. And Mitch can just fill in and be the backup. It's the same thing that he's doing in Buffalo right now. You know, so that's been the most frustrating thing. A part about it for me is, is that not only did, you know, we kind of do this quarterback carousel with Dawn and Justin Fields and all that right now, but we screwed up our team financially this year and going forward because of what we just did with Andy Dawn. Now we're talking about Mitch have accepted that. That could also create a toxic culture as well. Mitch wanted to stay in Chicago. I mean, he came out and stayed in Chicago and said that he wanted to stay in Chicago. And I think that if we would have kept him and had him in the offseason, and then if we go and draft Justin Fields. I mean, at that point, Mitch doesn't have a choice. You know, it's the draft season's about to start. And then at that point, you say, you know what, Mitch, you are the starter, but you are going to be the starter until you start playing like crap or you get hurt. And then we'll bring in Justin type of deal, you know. But um, I, I just think the way we managed it have been extremely poor, but not to get too down into a bear strain. Um, some other really good matchups that I know that are going to be coming in this weekend. Um that New England Colts game is going to be really well, a really, really good game. Teams are still in the thick of it. What's that? It's that it's no Peyton Manning versus Tom Brady like we used to be used to, but it's they're both teams are still in the thick of it. Trying to make yeah, and I, I really like the Colts in that matchup. I actually have a friendly wager with one of uh, another manufacturers that I was out in Minneapolis with, and he he he's from North Dakota, but he's like all on. He's a Vikings fan, but he's oh, the Patriots are going to win the Super Bowl, and it's going to be Tom Brady, then Bill Belichick this year, and it's going to be the perfect story. Then that's going to be the new battle, and this and that, and like he was saying that it's going to be Patriots against the Bucks, like Tom Brady against Bill, and that's what he thinks it's going to be, and that could be it. But in this week's matchup, I like the Colts. I just think Jonathan Taylor is on a tear right now. I think the Colts' defense is definitely playing really well. They're being able to stop the run. And I think the Colts' defense is the type of defense that's going to give Mac Jones and the Patriots trouble. They're going to stop the run. They're going to force Mac Jones to actually be able to throw the ball and throw the ball down the field. You know, we know that he's accurate within 20 yards. We know that. But, you know, you, you saw him against Buffalo. He threw the ball three times. Yeah, but you know, because of the wind. Yeah, and I understand that, but the thing is, is like oh, New England 
New England has the capability to where if they need a game plan and scheme, you know, to, hey, all we can do is run the ball. They can win some of those games. You know, they can. They're, they're well coached enough. They're, they're well put together up front on both sides of the football. Their defense is playing phenomenal. But again, I think it gets a run defense like the Colts. That's going to force to put the pressure back into Mac Jones's hand. We're going to see how that's going to happen. So I like the Colts in that matchup. The, the mm-hmm. turnovers too. Yeah, absolutely. Not forcing turnovers. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, is there any other matchups that you're looking forward to this weekend as well, other than just that one? I mean, look, man, I'm I'm excited down the stretch, but I'll hit on two things, not necessarily matchups. One, I want to give a shout out to Chris Beverly because in September he said the team to look out for this year was the Cardinals. The Cardinals are ten and two and have been on a tear, regardless of who's at quarterback. So, shout out Chris for nailing that. Um, the other thing is. I'm on the verge of a, like making it to the championship in a couple of leagues. I'm not saying it's going to happen in all of them, but in dynasty, I'm definitely going to the championship. And this has been a, a moment I've been waiting for, for a long time. My team's absolutely loaded. Josh is hurt. I was right about Jonathan Taylor. I had offers. This is our sixth year in dynasty. I had offers all off season for Jonathan Taylor that included Kamara and other big time players. And I said no to all of them. And JT's the number one back. And you know, I would be more worried about his mileage, but he hasn't even really gotten over 20 carries in a lot of games this year. He's had like 17, 18 carries for 150, a couple catches. Um, I just love when he plays Houston because he goes for like 32 carries for like 202 tutties. <laughs> That's what usually happens against the Texans. Um, but I mean, I got JT, I got Zeke, I got Najee. Um, I'm feeling really, really good about my chances. Hopefully, I mean, Hopefully I don't have to play Chris, but I might be playing Chris, who also has a stacked team. Um, but it's a good time right now. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the playoff picture in the NFL to shape itself out. But, you know, I'm in eight leagues this year, which is too many. I used to be in a lot in undergrad. And then over the last couple of years, I've done like three or four. This year got invited to a lot really because of the sports platform that we've built. Um, people just reaching out and stuff. And so I'm in eight, but I'm cutting it back down to like four max next year. Um, but have a really good chance to win in a couple. Uh, so pretty excited about it as far as Dynasty. And imagine that in Dynasty, you win one year, and then, of course, I might follow you up. That would just be very ironic. Um, not saying it's going to happen, but maybe. And most of our leagues, for the most part, any league that I play in with you, uh, you know, for the listeners, like we play in some pretty big money leagues. You know, I'm not talking like several racks or anything like that, but we play in some decent-sized money leagues. Um, no, like $50 league. So looking forward to some potential payouts, hopefully, but, um, you know, pretty excited about it. Auction league's gone well too. Um, you know, excited to see how we structure that this off season as well. Uh, that should be pretty interesting, but, you know, again, like some of these, some of these, I think as far as, you know, I'll just talk playoff picture a little bit instead of specific matchups. I think it's very, very likely that the Super Bowl winner comes out of the NFC. The AFC has been a little bit of a mess you had Tennessee get hot and then they just have way too many injuries. You've had the chiefs. We said, we said they were in trouble a couple of months ago when they were three and four. Now they're eight and four. So whatever, <laughs> like they're probably going to beat that. What we said of the 10 and seven, they'll probably win 11 or 12 games. Um, but I don't know. I mean, if they, if they take care of the ball, they're fine. Their defense suddenly has been better, which is like, we've seen this several years in a row. Like, their defense can't stop anybody. And then suddenly like, Oh, like we're forcing turnovers. We're holding you to 13 points. Like it doesn't make any sense. 
Um, but the Bills have been a team that we thought was going to be very good. They've lost to the Jags. They've had some other very questionable performances, not performing at home like they usually do. Um, I don't really know what the deal is there, um, but they're struggling a little bit. And then it just the NFC, dude, I just feel like the for the top five, six teams in the NFC could all win the Super Bowl. Like it's so yeah. the NFC is so stacked just, you know, with, you know, you got the Rams, you got Arizona, you got Green Bay, when you know, Tampa Bay defending Super Bowl champs, you know, and you still got some dark horses over there in the NFC too that, you know, can make a splash. And, you know, if they get high, I mean, this is the time we got about four weeks left in the season. You know, um, this is the time right now to where when teams start building momentum and they get hot, that's who's going to be able to carry that off in the playoffs. So, you know, a lot of these last four weeks are divisional. Games. Um, they're going to be very meaningful games, you know. Um, so it's definitely going to be interesting to see how the rest of the season pans out. Um, last couple of weeks yeah. are always the most fun because you get to see like, okay, this team, like, especially in the last week or two, this team needs a win and a loss from this team and they clinch the wild card. Like, right. I mean, dude, half the league, over half the league is in the hunt for the playoffs. You know what I mean? Especially yeah. at the wild card spot now. So, and let's not forget only the top team in each conference is the one with a bye. It's so, I mean, everyone's fighting for the number one spot. And I mean, both, both are very close, especially between, Arizona, Green Bay, Green Bay, like you said earlier, has to come out and win and dominate a game they should win, which they will most likely. And then in the AFC, I mean, it's it's very close between New England, Tennessee, Baltimore, and KC. And then you got the Chargers right behind them at seven and five. So it's, it's I mean, it's wide open. Yeah, and hats off to Tennessee too, man. You know, with them losing Derrick Henry and them still being able to string some wins together, and they're playing, you know, pretty good football right now. Ryan Tannehill is playing pretty well. That defense is playing pretty well. You know, they're still at the top of the race. Uh, you know, with Baltimore losing to Pittsburgh last week, that was – I still can't believe they went for two. You know, I would have kicked the extra point, just in my personal opinion, took it to overtime. But talking to a good buddy of mine, Boogie, who – um, you know, he he's a diehard Ravens fan, just like I am Bears, and we were playing Warzone, and we were talking about it, and he's like, well, come to find out, they lost Marlon Humphrey for the season, and so with Marlon Humphrey being out that game, they didn't want to take that game into overtime. They didn't feel comfortable with that, so that's why they went ahead and put the game in Lamar's hands, and they still almost got it. Well, obviously, it was an incomplete pass right there on the two-point conversion um, to win the game, but yeah, AFC is going to be a tight race. NFC is going to be a tight race. There's nobody in either conference that's really just kind of separated themselves from anybody yet. So, and I think that's typically we know like, okay, the Chiefs and last year it was like, all right, the Bucks because like by time this last year, like, you know, Green Bay lost a couple of games. Everybody was losing a couple of games. But like this year, it's like, it's been separated like in tiers. So you got basically like a third of the conference that's freaking really, really well. You got a third of the conference that's really bad. Then you got some guys in the middle of the hunt, you know, but there's no just one or two teams in each conference that's just like, oh, we're these, we're the guys just right now. You got about three or four teams in each conference. So you're like, okay, let's see how this is going to pan out. So, um, really thanks to the Chiefs' slow start. I mean, you can thank the Chiefs for that. The yeah. Guard has made it interesting, it's made it close. They still have a chance to go, you know, be the number one seed. But, dude, in the NFC, I mean, we're talking Arizona, Green Bay, Tampa Bay, Dallas, and the Rams. Like, those are the top five teams. Any of those yeah. teams can win. I don't, I, I don't believe it. all of them, you know, can because of some things. But, I mean, you never know. Any given Sunday, one of those five teams could easily go win it and make a push for the Super Bowl. 
Yeah, definitely. And, you know, Cowboys 8-4 and four playing Washington this week. I feel like this would be this is a typical game that, like, the Cowboys need to win to go to 9-4. and four, You know, at, at playing on the road in Washington, they should beat Washington, but I feel like they won't. Exactly. They won't, and they'll be 8-5, and five, and that's a huge difference between going 9-4 and four and 8-5. and five. That is a huge difference. Um, you got another matchup, a uh, big one for the Bills. They travel to Tampa Bay play Sunday at 325 Central Standard Time. They're 7-5, and five, going to play Tampa Bay 9-3. and three. Um, This is a huge deciding game right here because if the Bills lose this and fall to 7-6, and six, it's like, whoa, what's going on? Tampa Bay going on in 10-3, but Tampa Bay could like slip up and lose this game and still be fine, be 9-4. and four. But I don't see Tampa, or I'm sorry, uh, yeah, 9-4. and four. I don't see Tampa Bay losing that game, me personally. And then we got a great one. Might Monday be, night. Right here, Josh, it might be a situation where Buffalo just this year is playing two competition. They lose to the Jags, but yet they'll go out and beat Tampa Bay and leave everybody confused. Right. And backtracking on that Dallas-Washington game, you saw what Mike McCarthy said earlier this week, that he he's a win, basically. Yeah, so you're probably going to lose. They opened up as underdogs, and now they're slight favorites. We've seen it so many times. I don't care who it is. Bull, uh, bulletin board material, the team goes out and loses when they say they're going to win. And like you said, it's just a letdown spot. It just happens. Right. Yeah, it happens, you know. Um, and then I think it's going to be the best matchup of the week. Um, it's going to be the Rams traveling to Arizona, playing Monday night. Kyler playing well back in Chicago last week. Obviously, the Rams playing well, 8-4, and four, divisional rivalry game. I mean, this is going to be a very good matchup. And this could be a potential playoff matchup that we say later on down the road. Um it's I'm a trying big to see the Rams though because they got the they got blown out at home to Arizona earlier in the year. Yep. Yep. And the Rams do not have an easy remaining schedule. I mean, yeah, they play Seattle next week and and that's crazy to think that I'm like, yeah, they play Seattle, Seattle's four and eight, but I mean, Seattle still could come out and beat the Rams, you know, then they play with the Vikings, and then they play the Ravens and the 49ers and you know, the 49ers are not going to be an easy matchup for them, too. So um, this is going to be a huge, huge game for Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals and Cliff Kingsbury. Got the Rams coming in 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 town in Arizona to win on Monday night and to be able to advance to 11 and two and still be able to have the best record in football. You know, that would be a huge, huge statement win for Arizona, a huge statement win um, for that franchise and for Kyler just as a quarterback. And, you know, honestly, if 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 let's say Tampa Bay loses to Buffalo and let's say Arizona wins this game, this may flop and put Air, put Kyler Murray as a favorite to win the NFL MVP. Absolutely. Obviously, we got a couple more weeks to see how things go, but the, I could see that scenario happen to where you know, hey, Tampa Bay, they they obviously they're going to take Buffalo serious, but I could see it to where Buffalo may go in there and win in Tampa Bay, you know, because they know Buffalo probably knows, hey, this is a must-win game for us. Um, it's but like if Kyler, somebody's going to go take it, and I think Kyler's got to have down the stretch a couple of those three, four hundred yard games with four yeah. touchdowns because he was out for a couple weeks and is way behind on touchdowns, but he's been taking care of the ball. He can run, he has stats on the ground, and his team has the best record in the league. So if he has a couple of those performances, he can definitely go steal the MVP. Yeah, definitely. And just looking at their slate, so playing the Rams, and they play Detroit. That's a game he's going to put a lot of stats up on. Um, you know, then they play the Colts. That's going to be a really good matchup, too. Um, 
Then they got Dallas and then Seattle. So um, he's got some defenses that he can definitely put some points up against. So, you know, I would say the best defense that he's probably going to play on the remaining of the schedule besides this Rams on Monday night is going to be um, Christmas uh, Christmas Day uh, against the Colts. So um, that's going to be that's going to be a pretty pretty good matchup. We'll see where Indianapolis is at that point with them being seven and six at the moment right now. So um, NFL season heating up, MVP race heating up. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's definitely getting to that point to where it's getting cold outside, it's December. And at this point, as football fans, Zane, it's like, this is what we always look forward to, but it also kind of gets a little depressing because it's like, it's almost damn, dude, we only got about like eight weeks of football left. <laughs> you, know, you know, I mean, college football playoffs already here. Um, it's getting to the point where it's like, Sheesh, you know, we got baseball season coming around the corner and stuff like that. So, and speaking of, let's kind of transition to baseball a little bit, and then we'll kind of just wrap this episode up. Um, but, you know, MLB is currently in a lockout. Um, MLBPA and MLB has not been able to come to terms um, on a new contract bargaining agreement um, for the upcoming season and moving forward. So that has halted free agency. Um, that has halted everything, everything. I mean, organizations and coaches are not allowed to contact players or anything like that. There's no communication. It's allowed to be going on. Basically, everything is agents and just athletes right now. That's it. So um, very weird time for the MLB right now. Um, us as an Astros fan, um, you know, obviously, I'm still expecting Carlos Correa to leave. Um, I've seen rumors that Jose Ramirez wants to come to Houston, and we may move Jose Ramirez or have him play third and move – Bregman to short, you know, I've also seen that we may just promote within and not go out. I've seen things about Trevor Story, whatever it may be. So um, with the lockout right now that's going on, I'm definitely looking forward for, for you know, this lockout to end just so that we can wrap up free agency because it's honestly going to be kind of crazy and we're kind of in a bad situation right now because Correa hasn't made a decision yet and we're still at the mercy of him. We can't really move forward in free agency and in the future at that shortstop position until Correa makes a decision. And with that lockout, it's only getting closer and closer to April, you know? So we're about four months out from right now. It's crazy to think, you know, spring training is going to be starting in a couple months. Hopefully, you know, obviously it's going to depend on this lockout. Um, but you know, um, that this is where we're at and I'm looking forward to hopefully finishing this lockout so we can figure out exactly where everybody's going to go and how that's going to all play out. We did bring Verlander back. Yes. That was huge. Yes. Getting Verlander back was very big. I thought thought personally he's probably going back to Detroit and going to retire there, but seems to love Houston and wants to stay for another run. So that was big for us. Yeah. And and also bring up, I know I told you about this, um, and this is mainly for Astros fans local here in Houston. You know, if you're not local, you may know, but Brian Taggart, he is a writer for the Astros and he's a reporter for them. And he has been for a very long time. Um, He wound up being at a wedding that me and my fiance got invited to. So it's pretty cool. We're sitting down. We get to sit at this, you know, after the ceremony, go up the reception and they're bringing out our doors for cocktail hour. And here it comes in, Brian McTaggart just walking in. I'm like telling my fiance, I'm like, hey, you know who that is? And she's like, no, I'm like, that's Brian McTaggart, blah, blah, blah. So I'm talking to the uh, 
to the bride's uh, parents, and I'm like, hey, how do y'all know Brian McTaggart? They're like, oh, we just know him as Brian, blah, blah, blah. He's a family friend. And, you know, so then Ray, you know, tells my fiance, oh, well, you know, Josh has a sports podcast, this and that. And they're like, oh, we're going to make sure you talk to him tonight. I'm like, well, cool. I want to get the scoop on, like, are we bringing Verlander back? Is this happening? So talking to him, you know, um, he was like, yeah, Verlander more than likely is going to be coming back. Then I obviously asked him about the Lance McCullers injury, you know, just see, hey, is it a lot worse than we thought? Do you think that's going to be prolonging into next season? He did tell me that Lance McCullers should be back and ready by spring training camp. So that was that's a very good sign. Also showed me a picture of Alex Bregman's hand, um, which made a lot of sense because he did not play well in the World Series. And it was almost like, who the hell is this Alex Bregman? But it makes sense. I mean, the dude literally had a ball on his palm about right here, the size of a freaking tennis ball. Um, he got surgery, got that done. Um, so hopefully he can recover and come back strong. And then, you know, obviously just talking about the whole Carlos Correa thing. You know, I asked him, I'm like, where do you think Correa is going to go? He personally said that he thinks that he's going to go to the Yankees, um, you know, which I think would be a little bit crazy. You know, the Yankees to spend 600 plus million and within, what, three years of an offseason and two guys from Houston. But they talk crap about us, even though, you know, we cheated and everything like that. So I thought that was going to be pretty interesting if he goes there. Um, you know, then we talked about a couple of minor league guys that we could bring up and fill in at the shortstop position. And he's also the one that's confirmed the story about Trevor Story possibly being in the mix and coming to Houston as well. So that was pretty cool. So with that being said, uh, you know, great episode to come back, Zane. You know, let's try to again, we're going to try to be a little bit more consistent with you guys and spit out some more episodes and be a little bit more consistent now that my traveling is kind of stopping a little bit. Uh, continue to follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook group, Needed Sports Discussions. We're about to get that revamped up and going a little bit. Uh, you know, we're going to try to start posting some more clips of our podcast on our page so that way you guys can see that. Always, you know, as always, please give us some feedback. Let us know. Obviously, continue to listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts as well, and Anchor app. Um, and uh, again, Zane, it's a pleasure to be back. I won't be seeing you for a while, man. You're, uh, you were going to be going to Philly, but you're no longer going to Philly. Then you're going to Disney. Um, so you're definitely going to let me have, let me know how that goes. Cause I'm going to be going to Disney on my honeymoon, um, February. I got my wedding coming up. That's in 69 days. Um, which is crazy to think about, you know. So I know you've been working on that speech. Absolutely, right. you're the best man speech. That'll be fun. Absolutely, and and you know, I I don't I wouldn't want it any other way. You I'll know, so I'll get a few prop bets going for the wedding. <laughs> yeah, we'll probably have to do something and post that out and get you guys' opinion on that. Uh, so got that, you know. So I probably won't be able to see you again until January, until after the new year. Um, got that. I need to get back up to Dallas and, um, you know, come see you and, um, go see some business partners and everything up there. Some vendors and customers that I got up there that I'm starting to build relationships with. So it's going to start in time, man. It's crazy to think that 2022 is already coming or coming around 2021 coming to an end. Um, December 14th is our one year anniversary of starting needed sports, you know, Literally, it's something me and you just always talked about. And uh, eventually, it was just one day like, hey, we need to stop bullshit and just do it. And um, we finally pulled the trigger. And it's crazy to think a year later, here we are, you know, and um, we're not done yet by any means. You know, we're still planning. We got a lot of stuff in store. 
you know, um, with the NIL opportunities, merchandise, things like that. So means and we, you know, we got a lot of stuff that's in the works. So appreciate y'all support. Appreciate you guys listening. Appreciate the feedback for this year. It's been a good one. Look to even have a better year next year. Want to get you guys more involved, get you guys out here on the episodes, um, you know, and um, look out for us. And we're going to try to be at some sports venues coming up and maybe start getting some fans and interviews and getting some people involved as well. Try to build just the brand and the name and everything. So um, that's really all I got. Very appreciative of everything. And uh, it's crazy to think that it's already been a year since we started this. So maybe maybe another another uh, giveaway coming up maybe yeah yeah maybe we can do a a one-year giveaway or something and 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 figure that out and you know maybe we can tie that in as like a christmas gift as well from nita sports or something and um so maybe we can kind of brainstorm that and post that maybe it's like a i don't know like a team ugly christmas sweater or you know something or maybe we even do tickets again but in this time it's to a football game or something or i don't know we can figure that our basketball or whatever it may be so um if anything stay tuned on that me and zane we'll start plotting and, and figure something out like that but i like that idea let's get back and again we do this for you guys so again we appreciate all the support um and uh fire matt Nagy, man fire matt Nagy. it's about time i'm ready for it to happen so Happy holidays and thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, happy holidays. Merry Christmas to everybody, to you guys, and happy new year. Stay safe.